0: Speaking Basketball Podcast, my name is Ben. Welcome back to another show. Today is a special one. It's a little different. Uh, I get to wear my um, James Lipton hat and probe uh, filmmakers about their process. Uh, we're going to talk about the making of a documentary, a little basketball documentary called Goliath about Will Chamberlain, which is streaming now on Paramount+ with Showtime. Uh, as some of you know, I appear in the film. I, I mean, we'll have to talk about this today. I appear, I appear in the film a little <laughs> too much. Uh, I'm, I'm, in it, I'm in it quite a bit. Um, the the directors of this film, Rob Ford and Chris Dillon, yeah, right. how, how are you guys doing? Great. Having this, yeah. thanks. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, we have a lot to get to, but I just am really curious before we begin, where where did this project come from? How did it start? What was what was the motivation behind it? Um, I mean, we're going to get into basketball, but just where, where does something like this germinate? Um,
1: yeah, I, I think there have been various parties trying to make this documentary for a long time. Um, and unfortunately, or fortunately for us, it just hasn't worked out. Um, Primarily because of the family and the estate, uh, specifically and particularly Barbara Lewis Wilt's um, younger sister. He has two sisters that are currently still alive. Barbara's the younger of two. She manages the estate and um, she's just always felt, you know, sort of an odd feeling from past parties of like not having the integrity in place to do her brother's story justice from a humane approach, you know, wanting to focus more on some of the salacious or sensational elements of his life exclusively. And so I think it was just for us, the perfect sort of serendipitous timing, starting with Kevin Garnett and him being who he is and his respect and appreciation for Wilt and wanting to get this project made. And he partnered with Village Roadshow. They got it sold to Showtime who then brought in religion of Sports, um, which is how Chris and myself got involved with the project. And I think at that point, that collective group, um, let's also mention Happy Madison with Adam Sandler and Hilltap um, with the Lindsay family. They were actively involved, too. So. Collectively, I think that unit represented an entity that could get the family to open up and to be trusting and to allow the project to finally move forward. Even with that being said, when it got to the point of filming and interviewing, there was still another barrier of entry to clear with the sisters specifically as we started our filming in Philadelphia with um, family members there, particularly Selena. Gross, his elder sister, um, <clears throat> and it was a warming up process. You know, we had to earn her trust. We had to prove that our intent was to take a very, I, I would just keep using the term, humane approach. You know, we weren't looking to do a puff piece and just make him seem like the greatest guy ever, but we weren't going to let him off the hook for a lot of the decisions that he made that, may, that maybe weren't so favorable, but it would be balanced and it would be honest and it would be humane. And I think they picked up on it, and selena you know was sort of the the person who initially opened things up and got on the phone and started to call the other family members and say i think we got the right guys we trust them and um you know they're gonna do right by our brother for this project
2: yeah humanistic too like 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 we were interested in more than just basketball um you know the basketball is obviously huge in a big organizing principle for the making of it and i care Deeply about that stuff, as Ben knows, because I will talk his ear off about it. Um, but uh, we wanted to show you the human being. And that's what they felt had been absent in all the the the, the pieces that had been done about him um, in this medium. Books obviously delved into it, but uh, in film or television, they felt like their brother had been misrepresented. And that's why they were so guarded for 25 years.
0: Yeah, there, there, for those who don't know, there have been a, a ton of uh, other pieces, uh, you know, TV specials, short documentaries, all all kinds of stuff have been done on him before. Uh, but I think you hit at sort of a segue into my next big question about the process, which is, what was your central motivation? What was what was the conceit you were looking for? As filmmakers, like how, how would you guys describe the thesis that you wanted to portray um, when you set out to make this? You got it, Chris. Sure.
2: Um, for me, it was, you know, the opposite intention of a lot of sports documentaries, um, because those are myth building or burnishing the existing mythology around someone. And they can be done really well and be fun to watch, you know, like like The Last Dance, uh, where I. I like watching that game footage. It's exciting and it's fun and it's dramatic, but it is not telling me anything. I don't know about Michael Jordan. Um, And our intention was to take the existing mythology around Wilt, because there are these narratives as was a big part of it as well. Like trying to understand the narratives of Wilt and then unpack them, deconstruct them based on what we could learn from people telling us stories about him or looking at the game footage. So every, thing that we included had to reveal something for us that was new about Wilt, whether it was something that we just would have never heard before because it was personal and intimate or uh, something we thought we knew. Um, Like how did the Havlicek steals the ball game play out and then show you game footage with the help of certain commentators that, (laughs) that, uh, that the Hollywood reporter is screaming for more of, um, the, uh, and let you see, decide for yourself you know did the narrative that arose around wilt or was continued around wilt match up with what you just saw and we would you know, trust the audience to be able to look at these opposing things and without an, uh, us writing a narration for you to tell you what it means um you know we really wanted to trust the audience to decide for themselves what they thought about wilt but we wanted to let everything you saw be something that you you didn't know
0: so i want to jump in there on that because it's really interesting I, I felt that when i watched it for the first time but i mean there's been a a flurry of sports documentaries or sports adjacent documentaries i think chris you and i when we were setting this up mentioned the arnold documentary uh, on netflix um there's i mean even the american gladiators one is sort <laughs> of sports adjacent so there's a ton of these and you go back to the last dance which was of course uh, released at a very unique time at the beginning of the pandemic. But I actually think I outlined an entire podcast about the factual errors in Last Dance with the way they cut it. And it's like, that was a lot of fun to watch. And it was a lot of fun to revisit. And as you said, getting some of that high high definition, high quality game footage, you know, the basketball junkie, the 90s junkie in me just lights up. But I know enough about those games and I didn't miss a Bulls game for like 4 years. So, I know enough to know when they're cheating the edit and cheating the cut. And it's like specifically the one I always remember is when he came back from his broken foot. Um and the way they edited that like he had a pitch count, and he was only allowed to play certain minutes and they were just cheating the edits to to power through. And you see this so often in documentaries where it's like they're aiming for one big sweeping feeling or takeaway, whether it's a puff piece or uh, even I think with the Russell documentary recently, right? Where it's like, this is very clearly about social justice and his relationship to that era and um, pulling tons from his documentary and things like that. So this was different in that sense. Um, I'm not even sure I have a specific question is just a really fascinating thing to think about because as a viewer, by the time you get to the third episode for me, it was very much like, huh, this feels different than the other documentaries I've seen recently about sports because it's not telling me how to feel when I get to the end of it. Was that, was that a conscious thing for you guys from the get-go? And I want to hopefully connect that back to the process of how you started to make it and how long that took before we actually get it. Uh, released last week.
1: Yeah. I. To, so, yes, that it was very conscious and does connect back to process because I, I, I would say from day one, you know, our primary, most central goal was to make the film and the viewer experience as personal and as intimate and as subjective as possible from Wilt's point of view. Like that was the thing we constantly were coming back to. We were motivating our creative decisions by how we get to that point. We were choosing the stories that we put in the piece versus the ones that, you know, got cut out based off of that personal point of view. Um, so that for, for us, it, it we knew because he was so mythical and so misunderstood, it's easy to expect it to show up and just have someone say, you should know what was there you know but what we wanted to do was just to present the man in the most you know sort of unveiled fashion as a human being right wrong good bad complex and all facets and then like you just said literally so thank you for saying that and and you know mission accomplished art like let the viewer choose how they feel and so you know when we read reviews or we have conversations like people should be divided and some people should like this and dislike that and feel strong about this and less about that because it really and this is this is chris's thing he would say all throughout the piece is like when you watch it should tell you something about yourself and based on your own personal life experience and journey you're going to relate to it differently but that's what makes this man so uniquely fascinating Is like every part of his life is relatable to someone in some kind of way, which is why you tell the story and do the documentary. But because of the way he handled that situation, it may impact you differently, but it it works, you know? And that's what makes him fascinating, interesting as a character to, to cover in a documentary.
2: Yeah, I am, I, um, and, and Rob, it feels the same way. As much as possible, I want to trust the audience to infer and feel for themselves what there is to be felt rather than trying to dictate that to you, which is when you're detecting those alterations in the edit of a game, it's because you know they're trying to give you um, this clear experience they want you to have. And that's not also wrong because there can become a point where you lose the signal in the noise. You have to make editorial choices, but a big part of This both thematically for me um, and also as an organizational principle for making it, is that we're doing a story about stories. We're doing a story about narrative. It's not just his basketball that we're showing you. We're showing you specifically basketball games where the narrative around him was born or evolved and trying to let you hear him from his autobiographies or interviews uh, react to those things, including the distance between what he felt he was as a basketball player or as a person and what the narrative was, because that seemed to be that feeling of being misunderstood. uh, One of the great sources of pain in his life. And that's what I connected to the most emotionally. There's a lot of things that one can connect to, but I, even though my life experience is nothing like Wilt's, I know, looking at me, you'd think probably I'm a high lottery pick, but no, (laughs) Um, you know, the, um,
0: for those not watching on, on YouTube, Chris does not look like Will Chamberlain. <laughs>
2: <laughs> He's my lack of athleticism <laughs> more, man. Um, the, uh, but I know what it's like to feel misunderstood. I know what it's like and I hate it. I I hate that feeling. And to imagine myself in his position, feeling like the world doesn't see me the way that I feel that I am and that the people closest to him didn't seem to describe him as being. Um that I understand and I empathize with that. And so that was a way for me to help organize like what basketball are we going to use and when and how, and always wanting to know how Will felt, because as Rob said, like Will <clears throat> felt like he never got to speak for himself in a certain way, even though he wrote all these books, he felt like he couldn't beat the narrative, you know, he couldn't, it still exists, you know, like um, thank, thank goodness for Bill Simmons being willing to say things about Will that. People have said for generations so that we can let you watch and and ultimately decide for yourself. And this is, well, I'll get film nerdy for you. I have a great teacher named Carol Dysinger, who just won an Academy Award a couple of years ago for her documentary about uh, learning to uh, skateboard in Afghanistan when you're a girl. It's a doc short. And she said one of the most brilliant things ever about making the, this kind of stuff, which is... Uh, how much emotion is there on screen? And we all, you know, watched a scene together and had to guess at like how much. And she said the answer is zero. Emotions live inside the person watching. It's your job to present things to them in an order that allows them to access their own feelings. And so I agree with that wholeheartedly. And 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 that's a big driver for what we tried to do here. And by showing you contradictions, you know, between uh, a back-to-back like here's wilts woman womanizing that went on for decades and there's other aspects of wilts relationships with women we're not telling you what to think you know um but both things are true because he was large and contained multitudes so you can decide for yourself how you feel
0: this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg very, very well said. And now I'm thinking about the, uh, the emotion that lives on the screen with all the basketball clips that I I use regularly in my YouTube videos. Um, You you touched on it. What do you think? um, What do you think? I mean, misunderstood is this word that comes up a lot? What do you think the general public impression of Wilt misses, not just with uh, the off court stuff that we're talking about, but I mean, he's so polarizing on the court. I don't know if you guys have encountered this at all after releasing the film, but in my experience, he's one of the most polarizing athletes to talk about ever. Certainly in the history of the internet, uh, people are not short of strong opinions. But hmm. you know, the those who um, are sort of the true believers, um, you know, think that if if I come along and say that. 50 points per game is not the greatest season ever, that I'm doing an injustice of, of a religious, sacrilegious sort of um, level, and, and I probably should be cast down to the seventh circle or something. But then at the same time, it, if you actually talk about these guys like Wilt from the 60s and say they're one of the great players ever, you get you get met with the, they played against plumbers and you know they couldn't do anything back then, blah, blah, blah. Have you guys encountered that and sort of what do you think uh, either before making the film or after making it, the, the general impression misses there? Uh, You you got it, Chris. Oh,
2: sure. Um, absolutely. You know, we, people have strong opinions about Wilt and a lot of them are informed by, you know, very simple stories and very simple numbers. And, and that's understandable on some level, but, um, i in you know uh, you know i I probably rob and i both care about big picture things and small picture things i would say that when it comes to this aspect of basketball that's like a small picture slash big picture thing that i am really focused on um i think that what people miss is that there was no wilt before wilt and that as you have said when we talked about it and you know in the piece that like you know wilt is incredibly instructive as a player to look at the how he was utilized, the style of play. And I think what people miss about him as a player is his willingness to evolve. Um, you know, we all we didn't want to shy away from his shortcomings. It was important to admit when Wilt's ego played a role, when he refused in, in like 59-60, when Neil Johnston asked him to go out and guard in space. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. You know, so great. We want you to know that that he had an ego and refused to do things he was asked to do. But also we want you to know that he was asked to shoot the ball 40 times a game because there'd never been a weapon like him before. And the offense was designed to do that. And as you pointed out in your recent video, the lack of player movement around him, you know, to for him to even potentially hit people who are cutting, um, that's not something that he designed. You know, like that was a design issue. And then as they learn about the gravity that he had drawing double teams and Alex Hannum comes in and says, like, we should be running some more movement and Wilt, we'll, you should be looking to hit people like he at first didn't want to let go of that role, but he accepted and embraced that change and the efficiency of the team goes up and they win championships. And then later in his career, when he's somewhat diminished physically, but he has superstars, He agrees when Bill Sharman asks him to, like, can you essentially play like Russell? Can you rebound, guard in space, start the fast break, set screens, do dribble handoffs, and then occasionally score, roll the rim, and pass. And he shoots the ball nine times, and they win a championship in 33 straight games. And it's like, this is a guy who was willing to change. And I don't think that that the narrative around him is that. I think that it's focused heavily on the big numbers, you know, 50 points per game, the 100-point game. And this is a guy who I personally believe, if he comes around later, the way he's coached probably from the beginning is going to embrace more of these aspects of his game that became um, evident and explored as his career went on. I don't know if that impacts the winning and losing, but um, I think that we play the results, which is why, you know, one of the reasons we really wanted you um, was that you do basketball, but you also have this background in cognitive science and we could talk about narrative, which, you know um you do in your book and in your videos you know that this idea of we we look at the result and we come up with a story to fit the result and it's a very binary thing when you have a winner and a loser it lacks nuance and it also lacks on a certain level truth you know life is muddier than that you know and more complex and as a person which we also we spend more time talking about him as a person than we do as a basketball player um
0: we delve S- it. In... Speak for yourself on that one. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, in this piece, <laughs>
2: you talk about him <laughs> a lot as a basketball player in the piece. But um, in terms of screen time, we spend uh, you know as much or more time talking about him outside of yeah. basketball. Yeah, definitely. But even within basketball, we wanted everything you saw to feel like something's being revealed to you that you didn't know um, by seeing the actual game footage or learning about some aspect of his game that came from like the globe trotters that, you know, I didn't know about. And as someone who's a big fan of this stuff, I thought I knew all these things. And uh, we wanted people to have that experience of like, I had no idea that that was true. Um, but I think Will temperamentally was a much kinder, um, nicer person than the persona that was attributed to him and in a way was more coachable even though his ego comes into play, like early in his career. And then when he goes to the Lakers, like his ego got in the way. And we also don't want to shy away from that.
0: Yeah, as you're talking through that, I'm thinking in my life, I grew up with these just tall tales of him. Even though I grew up in Boston, um, the basketball people in my family, for the most part, were sort of wilt lovers. They said, you know, yeah, Russell has all the rings, but I mean, you should have seen this guy. He was incredible and uh, he, he blocked 15 shots a game and he was just an unstoppable force. He just didn't have the team. And so I very much grew up, uh, this was before the days of basketball reference. For those for those wondering, by the way, basketball reference didn't always exist. We didn't have at uh, you know instant access to all these stats at the tips of our fingers. And so for a very long time, uh i don't know if i had a, a goat list when i was a kid or anything like that but i just thought like yeah he was probably better than russell and has to be like one of the one or two three greatest players ever and then the more you learn about him i, I changed my opinion i was like oh wow i didn't I, i didn't know any of this stuff sometimes it goes down sometimes it goes back up so my question to you both i guess is um have you had an experience like that with him where as you debunk things or learn more your opinion sways in different directions and how did he sort of how did your impression of him change as you made the the piece
1: Um for me it it has instantly already and it's, it's a great question um because it was also like weird when it happened the first time cuz i could literally feel the shift but i was like over some friend's house, I think it was like during the playoffs, and we're just hanging out watching the game. And you know, you, you somehow you always just the talk begins like who's the best, who's the greatest, why. And the conversation's constantly evolving, especially as Joker was making his run, you know, through this particular playoffs. And a lot of Wilt is mentioned in reference with the records. Right, yeah. The Um, And it was the first time I was like super bullish about, well, for sure, as you just find out, at minimum has to be top three, if not number one. But then just citing so many specific, you know, examples and sources and references to support the argument to where just didn't have that before outside of 50 point season, 100 point game or just statistical things, you know, Um, And it was also interesting because, um, you know, like at the same time, it was a scenario of like the film wasn't out. So I had to like withhold some of it. I didn't want to give the whole movie away. But I do feel like now that it's public and everyone can see it, the conversation and the landscape of it has to change because now you have tangible you know proof and evidence of his greatness his impact if you want to just live statistically on the court in basketball there's a case to be made but if you want to take it and just say culturally from a basketball perspective you know what he did for the game at large business contracts value tv marketing like it's to me, no question. And, and where I try and move the conversation where I think it's a little bit more definitive is he's, he's the most important player, you know, to the history of the game, because we don't have anything that we're talking about thereafter without him. And it's like, you can't build a house without the foundation. You know, the second floor is beautiful and it's a great view and all that, but it can't stand without that foundation. So,
0: yeah. And I, and I think to that last point, Rob, um, I think, Chris, you're, you you alluded to it earlier. If I have to describe Wilt, the word I always use is instructive from a basketball standpoint. And that's been a challenging thing for me because I think it's led to a lot of uh, hatred from his most beloved fanatics of like, why are you using Wilt to start your book about this concept? It's like, it's not about Wilt. It's about the concept. And we're kind of lucky that he had Russell to show us these two different concepts that still exist 60 years later that carry, you know, throughout the sport. And it's not about the nuance of which one is actually truly greater. It's that we were lucky to have this guy who all the stuff, or I should say most of the stuff that he did, especially when he was younger, pops in statistics. And with Russell, we just didn't have many of that. And the guy with the statistics, with the titanic stature, with the amazing, you know, um, we're changing rules for him to slow him down. He's the one who's labeled the loser. And this other guy who has this like immaterial thing as his rival to to me, it's just so, so instructive on so many levels. Um, So just even from a basketball perspective, I, I totally vibe with that. Rob Chris, what's your, uh, what's your take on this?
2: I, I I mean, I have so many things that, that are immediately come, come to mind, but on a small level, The injury in 1969-70, when he tears his knee up, is something that really revealed to me how far away the narrative about this guy being, you know, first off, there's still people who will say, he copped out in 69, he wasn't really hurt, he didn't wanna play at the end. And it's like, at what point is this guy's life, has he backed out of a big moment in a basketball game? For him to then tear that same knee up um, badly at the beginning of the next season, the the film we found of him when he comes back four and a half months later for the playoffs and you noted and I, you know, having seen the footage that like he looks diminished, he's struggling up and down the floor. And I didn't put those pieces together until we were in the edit. and I was like, oh, wow. Wow. Like this guy is out there laboring to compete for a championship. Cause he has a shot on a recently surgically repaired knee and I'm not a doctor and I can't say whether or not that put him at more risk, but the fear in his eyes that we found in that little news piece, when I asked him, like, how's the knee feel that you're coming back? And he's like, it I'm, feels different. You know, like we're taking a risk. Like he knows that he's risking something and maybe his career to try to win. And like, that's, I didn't know that about him. Like I had bought in to that mythology. But from a big thematic standpoint, like a big part of Wilt's life as it manifests through basketball is how do I as this unique individual fit into a group? And that was true for him as a kid, when he grew and there there was no you know, archetype of him as a like a big African-American basketball player who could become rich and famous. None of it existed till he made it exist. And he was made to feel odd and like a freak as a kid and not in the athletic sense, but in the sense that like you're a weirdo and you, you know, the fact that he didn't date in high school, that his sister said he didn't go to dances. He didn't go to his prom all like that, that he was made to feel that way by the group. And then he goes into basketball and he also doesn't necessarily fit in with the group because he's so great. And his own teammates triangulate against him, you know, in that great Tom Macheri story in episode one, where, you know, he's being viewed by his teammates on the Warriors uh, with suspicion and with, you know, um, and derogatively. It, 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 this is a guy who just wanted to fit in, you know, and wanted to be embraced by people and 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 wasn't. But in part, it also conferred, you know, his fame and wealth and everything on him. And that the fact that the basketball manifests that as well was such just a beautiful as storytellers. That's very beautiful and rich and and, and powerful. And it made me feel for him tremendously.
0: Yeah. Um, for me, one of the things that was so cool about doing this was getting access to the additional footage. And uh, we, of course, talked about tons of things that that don't get into the film. I want to I want to get to that that process and that decision later. Cause I, that's something that I relate to the most where you make a piece and you just, you can't stuff everything in the piece and, and you always have to make editorial decisions about what to cut. Um, but, but before we get to that, like 1957 championship game, this legendary game that you hear about, right. And to be able to, to get to see that game. And, um, I knew before that this was a game that had weighed on him heavily. But to be able to see the game and understand the basketball aspect of the game and then I, I won't give it away, but just make connections to that throughout the film and come back to that at the end of the film and sort of sort of how it impacted him on and off the court. That was uh that was really cool to me. What what was the most I mean we've talked about a ton, but what what would you guys say is the most interesting thing you learned in this process about him that you didn't know beforehand?
1: Um, For me, I would say uh, it's probably two or three things. Um, First and foremost, just how deeply emotional and sensitive he was, starting from the adolescent wounds he experienced with being put in the remedial class and losing his confidence and developing a stutter. Um, My heart personally was like, Broken to hear that story, and just had deep empathy for him, and it it really informed a lot of his adult behavior with respect to holes and voids he was trying to fill. Um, I was and remain to this day still just blown away by his uh, push for ownership, you know, considering the climate and the time of America, and you know where things are at with respect to to black people and. Um, you know, civil rights and uh, being considered full human beings, um, while this man is making a play for for ownership. Uh, you know, like he's not in the 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 Cleveland Summit picture with Ali and Kareem and Russell, and you know, we had conversations about that because he was Wilt Chamberlain at that time. You know, and the iconic man, and he feels like he should be there relative to the talent and the celebrity of that, that photo in that room. But it tells you a lot about who he is because he's an individual and he went about things in his own way. And he wasn't an activist, if you will, in that sense of the overt, literal, you know, frontline type, but things like the ownership and the value of teams and players, um, salaries being increased our revolutionary and activism in their own right that folks benefited from. So I just I just it's it's hard for me to comprehend putting myself in his shoes and understanding the confidence and the self-awareness and the and the the understanding of the value of self to be thinking like that at that time. Um, it's 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 amazing. And then, you know, like man, like as a black dude in this country, in general, but you know, coming off the heels of Floyd and twenty twenty pandemic, you know, getting into this film shortly thereafter, when we're still talking about humanity and being seen, you know, as as people and the value of life, um, I was particularly saddened to see how the twenty thousand women statement put him back in such an objectifying space of a physical object um, and not being seen as a human being, which he had done so much work to negate that, you know, throughout his life. And He unfortunately presented a ripe opportunity for people to just see him in a very animalistic fashion, which is very heartbreaking because that's like the lasting memory that a lot of people, you know, have. Um, so I didn't, obviously the 20,000 wasn't new, but just the psychology of it and how, you know, the different voices that we have in the film to talk about. It just presented a new angle to see what that moment meant and, and how it impacted him and his legacy. So those, those are the three moments for me. This big takeaway learning. Yeah. Moments.
2: I could not agree more with everything that Rob just said. The the revelations about the damage that um, he felt as a kid um, had a huge impact on me i didn't know any of that and it does change the way um you know you you look at him because he's someone who cared and this is why we start where we start and why we end where we end is that he someone who cared desperately what people thought about him and the way we conceive of him is often like oh he's disco dancing in the 70s and he's on the beach playing volleyball and like he's a uh, the. You know, celebrity.
0: The the flashy pictures and the right. cars and, and the fashion. Yeah, and yeah. This comes
2: back to this idea of narrative and 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 why we used the manual cinema technique of, of the shadows to try to like, you know, illustrate some of these more personal stories because we're trying to lean into the subjectivity of all of this that Wilt had stories told about him. Wilt told stories about himself. Sometimes it backfired on him, like with the 20,000 women. And we're telling his story. And you know, we are subjective uh in in that regard you know as well but i think i think that i was not aware and because we look back and we're playing the result as well with like look at the outsized life this man had how hard it is to be first um in things and to show up and be you know so great that he broke racism on some level, because the race, like that bit when they ask him, where are you getting letters from? You know, what schools? And he's like, I'm getting them from all over the country, you know, including the South. And the, the guy goes, Wait, the South? You know, because this hmm. is 1954, you know, and this is segregation and there's still lynchings happening. And but he's so great <laughs> that these racist schools are like, We we don't want to give an opportunity to a black player like this, but man, he sells tickets. So, like, greed wins, you know, and that is, as Rob is saying, like, he may not be an activist in the same way that we think of some of these other players, but he is an agent of change, unlike anyone else. And he took arrows for it all the way through. And to this day with like, well, if Wilt scored a 50 points a game, it's because, you know, because they look as if he had all the power. This is an African-American man in the mid 20th century. There was no precedent for him, even in his own sport. And yet somehow everyone gave him the agency. Because he's Goliath, right? He's so big physically, but it's like he walks into this situation with not a lot of power and grows it, and then sees it and then claims it. And now we, you know, we're in the world where Dame Lillard can say, "I want to leave Portland and I want to go to Miami." And you know, as a Portland fan, I'm like, eh, "I wish, I wish that didn't happen. I wish he would stay, or I wish he wouldn't, you know, limit our choices." But that's his power. And he deserves to exercise it, just like the GM deserves it. This is negotiations of power that everybody learned how it really works because of this man in the mid 20th century saying like, I have that power and I'm gonna use it. And then Kareem follows and everyone follows suit. And now that's the world we live in because of this incredibly fascinating wounded person who also had the self-possession to realize that my greatness, gives me a uh, leverage and I should use it. And he just showed everybody how it works after that. And the the fact that he got pilloried for that mm-hmm. is so wrong to me and sad. Um, because as the stories we get, like from Paul Arizon's son about Stephanie, um, Tom Sherry, you know, like this is a deeply uh, kind person and who cared about other people. And, um, and hopefully people's opinion of him will be uh, informed by what they see here
0: i think part of what's fascinating uh, you know even connecting back to the basketball landscape is big men and how they're perceived now as and i think you might even explicitly have uh, a line on this in one of the episodes It's a ticket. Right now, if you're a huge, big guy and athletic, it's a ticket somewhere and you can see the pathway. But back then, not only was there not the same sort of individual brand concept for for players financially, but there are all these articles in the old days about, you know, should there be a height cap? Um, these, These giants are ruining the sport. Um, You know, the language was extremely pejorative. They're freakish. They don't want to be seen as these oversized men, Um, not to mention in the case of Wilt and Russell and some of these other guys, the the racial component of that. I think Russell very famously says, you know, he's listed at 6'9", and a lot of my listeners know this bit about how they used to list guys barefoot, and I think Russell has a quote of saying, like, don't list me at 6'10", I'm 6'9 and three quarters, and that's barefoot. So that's really like today. That's what we think of as like a 6'11 or 7-foot center. And today you round up and you want to be taller and you want to be seen as bigger. And back then it was kind of the opposite, um, cutting in the opposite direction. Speaking of cutting, I'll do a professional segue. Cutting. (laughs) What What was the thing that you cut or had to take out of the film that you really, really wanted to leave in? I'll start with... One thing that I was kind of wondering if it would be in there, uh, I don't know if you ever encountered it, but there's these stories of him arguing with scorekeepers back in the day. And I was wondering if that was going to make it in, because as I went through the episodes, it just felt so sort of consistent with the the nuance that you were you were going for. So what was the thing that you had to take out that you really wanted to keep in? Yeah, you got it, Chris. Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh well that was one you know we did have people talk about that and it becomes the moment where it's like can we get this in without like uh derailing the thought process that we're following Yep. and yep. where it yep. was going to go was towards the end of episode one you know when he's putting up all the monstrous stats but it well i'll tell you what got in the way but it felt more important was the development of his follow away shot you know um because of getting fouled you know where it's like this is this is a complicated idea because first we got to get then that he's getting fouled a lot. And then the, you know, the evolution that he brought to his game as a way to avoid getting fouled. And I'm like, one more idea here is overstuffing it. I'll tell you one that we really wanted, Ben, and it's yours. Um, but there's a bunch. I mean, like Wilt, Wilt coaching in the ABA, you know, Wilt's uh, life as a, a founder of a professional volleyball league. Uh, Wilt moving in with Ike Richmond, and his family when he first moved back to Philly um, because he didn't have a place to live. You know, it was mid season. He had no place to live. So Ike said, you're going to live with me and my kids and my wife. (laughs) And you know, there was amazing stories, uh, but we couldn't, we just, because of the logistics of booking and all that stuff, we couldn't get uh, Ike's kids to interview, uh, which are the people that we needed to tell those stories. So, but like, they're amazing. Like playing cards with Wilt in your room when you're 13, you know, like, um, those are all, but, uh, I would have to say braces paradox is one that like, you know, we wanted braces paradox in, and this is from your book. And I'm just going to say this. I know you're going to cut it, Ben, but like,
0: we, we don't cut, there's no okay. cutting. Here, all right. Well, Chris.
2: <laughs> you are a part of this piece because like we, and I am a fan of you, of your work on YouTube and with greatest peaks and then your podcast and your book. Like I, lo- all right, I might cut this yeah, I I might knew cut you this. Was- this is a little too much, yeah, I know. Yeah. but I, but I, but I, I love the insight and the willingness to critique and I, why I wanted to have things about pace and all that in to like, let's acknowledge that, you know, we know some things now that we didn't know then embrace this paradox. Rob and I both love it, you know, it, it, and uh, you know, I'll let you try to explain it, but it is, <laughs> it is this fascinating way to try to understand why Wilt's change as a player you know, was more efficient uh, when he started to to pass more and why that, you know. Um, but it was just that one more thing where it's like, we're trying to explain to you what happened in the 62 game seven against the Celtics and what Russell did and how that impacted the game and Sam Jones jumper and then the emotions that Wilt felt because of it. And it's like stopping to explain this very fascinating uh, thing. It was like, ah, we can't, we're losing the emotional thread, you know.
0: Yeah. How, how long did you want the movie to be? That's my question. That was this, that was the question I asked. I think the day we, we did the interview and I was like, so Chris, it's like an eight hour movie, right? You got you got like an eight eight part series on your hands.
2: Well, you're alluding to the Hollywood reporter piece as well, which said, you know, if, if there's one critique we have of this, it's not enough Ben Taylor. We need no, more no, Taylor.
0: That's, <laughs> that's, that's not true.
2: But they also <laughs> said, this is really entertaining. I wish you could go on for six hours. And so do we like, you know, um, you know, Rob and I don't get to decide that, you know, like it's uh, we're told the parameters in which we can work. And then we have to decide what's the story that we want to tell within that that framework of of time and money, because all these things are, you know, um, have a budget. Um, but I would I would love it if we had a couple more hours. You know, it would change how we approached a lot of things. Um and I don't exactly know what all the, the changes would be. But like, uh, Wilt merits it. I mean, he had an incredible life.
0: Yeah. Chris, do you have a particular thing? I mean, uh, Rob, do you have a particular thing that? Um, yeah, I would wanted say in that didn't make it.
1: The number one for sure is the uh, the Ike Richmond um, where Wilt lit like we were just fascinated by that thing when we came across it and had grand plans for that to be a larger part of the film. And then didn't work and we had to deviate because it was like a year of his life where he's with this kid in their room. Like it's just fat, it's fascinating, dude. And so interesting and such a unique point of view for, for this kid to have that's experienced the most famous basketball player. Just move in and he taught him so many things. And it's also like really character revealing uh, again of of how tender and sweet of a human being, you know, Wilt was so. That one was a big loss. Uh, And his love for his love for Ike, you know, Like we we, we tell you about,
2: but like, here's why, you know,
1: why? Yeah. That would hit much harder. You know, if we, if we had the opportunity to include that as well, but I would say ultimately, yes, I think five to six hours, and it will probably be, we just live longer in the spaces we're currently in with more breath and more perspective uh, than it would be like a gazillion other stories to ask specifically, I got to give a lot of this credit to Chris, um, you know, like at, at one point, you know, we were struggling to have like Kareem in the thing at all, you know, because he didn't want to do the interview. And then we were running out of time as far as screen time. And it was challenging because we didn't have him. And but there's so much to their relationship, starting with young Kareem, you know, yeah. meeting him in New York and idolizing him, hanging out in the clothes and the fact. Uh, and through basketball. So, like, we could have done so much more on that had we had, you know, more time. There's a lot more to the Russell relationship on a personal level with how they spent time with each other's families and their personal lives and things of that nature that we just kind of breeze by, you know. So it would be that, like, let's live and get you two or three more cool nuggets in the world of where we're already at which would take us to probably five or six hours justly.
0: Yeah. Was there too much or not enough basketball for you? Uh, For Rob,
1: uh, I would say, uh, what are the two options? Too much or not?
0: Too much basketball or not enough basketball?
1: (laughs) Uh, Probably not enough, uh, ultimately, because – Uh, the the parameters were very short to begin with due to contractual licensing. We don't want to put you to sleep with all those details. Um, So, you know, we already felt like we were at a deficit from the jump and he's such a dynamic player and you want to show that to people. You want to really like visually bring that to life. Um, And there is, there's not a ton like last dance, but there is more than what's, in the movie that we could have put in um, that I think would have helped elevate that, you know, a little bit more. So yeah, definitely would have liked more, more basketball. You know, there's a thing it might be in there, Chris, help me remember, but we heard like um, stories about him dunking from the free throw line, which I, I was fascinated by. Um, and I think we might have a little snippet of it from a newspaper article relative to like when they changed the free throw rule but just hearing about how casually he went about that repeatedly that was something that i just was personally fascinated by and would love to spend a little bit more time in. i'm a big fan of gladwell's podcast about the underhand free throw and that whole dynamic and the psychology and you know we really didn't really get into that at all you see it you know quickly we um, tried hard
2: went, we tried to get tried well. yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah we you know we could have lived in that longer as well too because even visually like we we're in vegas at the um premiere i was sitting next to my girlfriend when we were watching the show and when will comes on and he does the underhand free throw she literally like her brain, it was like, what <laughs> did I just, did he like, you know, I was like, there's a story to be told about the how the how and the why and the statistics and what that meant and why he went away from it that her body was reacting to, cause she wanted to know more, but you know, we just, we have to keep it moving. Cause it was just something you saw as part of the larger series of what was going on. So those are some elements basketball wise and also just in general, I wish we could spend more time
2: on. Well, my answer to this is that Ben just made a video a really good video <laughs> about Wilt and Wilt's playing style. And he has seven more minutes of basketball footage than we have in the three hours. And yep. I-, I would love to uh, we had longer cuts, you know. Also, there are moments where there is no footage whatsoever. 68, there's like right. sixty eight finals, there's like two, three Very shots limited. from an NBA made yep. documentary. And we use them, you know, but early in his career, these were shot on film. You know, there was no video to roll for the whole game. And so, you know, that's limiting. And as Rob alluded to, you know, because we're making this for a network and it's broadcast, there are there are uh, limitations in terms of the amount of footage that we're allowed to use. So it's not a choice that we wanted to make per se, but, you know, we have those limitations. And and part of what we were doing, although, you know, was was not just to show you games, but to illuminate some aspect of the game that you may not know about. Or show you how it actually played out versus your conception, like Pavlochek steals the ball, or the triple overtime game against Kansas, uh, you know, Kansas against UNC. So you know, we had a more narrow focus as well because it had to reveal something about Wilt's character uh, or uh, style of play, or something that was showing an evolution of him. So, so we had that target, and you helped us greatly. Bob Ryan helped us greatly, like to uh, Jackie McMullen to help you understand the ways in which he's changing as a character. But of course, we would love to have more basketball at the same time. And I know that you're asking this question because you told me that when you and your wife watched it, you were like, hey, there's not that much <laughs> basketball. She's like, there's so much basketball.
0: Yes. Like no, care. I think I I think this is a duality yes. of the film that also echoes the duality of Wilt. But it, yeah, keep going. And
2: that's the we are aiming to tell you a story about a human being who uh, we are you know, obviously here because of his greatness as a basketball player and, and as an agent of change in, in that culture and culture more broadly. But it's the story of a human being, and there's many, many more dimensions to him than that. And the people you know that we're working with are also as interested, maybe or more interested, in that. And when we screened uh, the second hour um, as part of the premiere, I have people coming up to me afterwards, Amin Al Hassan and people like that, saying, "I, you know." First off, I can't believe I didn't know that about Wilt and the Globe Trotters. You know, like I didn't. The things about Wilt as a basketball player, I didn't know. And then they immediately want to talk about like the social stuff. They want to talk about you know MLK. They want to talk about Wilt campaigning for Nixon. They want to talk about these other things as well because those resonate. Even though people are, and that's an audience that was really into the basketball when it goes into these other parts of his life that are, are, are something you don't know about. That is also interesting, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, going back to Rob, the underhanded free throw thing, I mean, it's just, it's in a way a microcosm of everything we've talked about with him and his life and some of the stories. It's just, it's fascinating and complex and there's all these little tentacles to it. And then when I encounter it in the wild, it's polarizing again, right? And some people, why is he shooting underhanded free throws? Uh, And then I actually see a lot of his supporters or people who are big believers in him say like, oh, if he had just stuck with the underhanded free throw. And then um, thanks in some degree to this project, the more older film I've been able to see, you realize one, he shot underhanded free throws in a lot of seasons. This wasn't just like a one year experiment. Number two, other players shot underhanded free throws at that point in time, he wasn't the only one, but then number three, the overarching impression, um, which I don't think ever you guys ever got into it in, in the piece too much, but just like what's it like for him to feel like constantly shooting underhanded free throws, still being criticized for going to the free throw line, still only having, I think, like one year over 60%, and then he goes back to overhanded. And by the time he's with the Lakers, I don't think you have this clip, but I got it in. I got it in my latest video um, on YouTube. He's shooting free throws with the Lakers out near the college three point line, just for like, just for comfort. Um, and this, you know, that would to your point, Rob, about going deeper on these things, not having new things, but going deeper. You can kind of unearth the entire concept of what it was like to be coached back then. Bill Bill Sharman, his coach in Los Angeles was basically the first coach to introduce film sessions. Players did not want to come in and do extra work and study film. And there's some great quotes about his players complaining about it because they're making him do extra work. And, you know, the whole concept of walkthroughs and film sessions is extra work. But it jumps out to me when I see Wilt, like, what shooting coach, no matter how psychological your issues were, would tell you to stand five feet behind the free throw line <laughs> to improve your free throw percentage. It's just, it's just such a wild, complex story. Further away. Right. Vers- yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't make it get, go further <laughs> away.
2: But I'll tell you like, cause the story was um, because he became so strong, he was already so strong. And then he had been lifting weights now for years that he felt he couldn't control an, uh, an overhand shot at 15 feet. Cause he was just, it was like, you know, trying to shoot a a wiffle ball you know for us like it's just he's too powerful and then he could be more accurate from (laughs) distance from distance
0: yeah no i think that's the technique thing i try to get into it in my video but he never he never really actually has for our youtube audience you can see my mini stroke like he never actually has like a traditional like a gooseneck wrist snap it's really subtle but all the clips going back to high school everything he when he shoots it, he kind of he kind of flicks it toward the basket. It's almost a cousin of maybe like a little volleyball action that you do with your arm. And as you said earlier, Wilt was a prolific volleyball player. Um, but stuff like that just really really fascinating. I'm curious, how long did this take you guys? You started back in 2020. Uh oh, not not that far. We back. wish. We, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We started. Um, uh, May of 22. So a little over a year. That's um, pretty good. That's
0: yeah. pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um. Any Anything else you want to share? Have you been happy about the reactions that you've received so far? Unhappy? Are they unfair? Now is the time to air grievances. This is a <laughs> three-minute Festivus I'll give you guys.
1: <laughs> uh, for me... Um you know on the positive upswing side is is the family and their reception and their support and their love um just selfishly like showtime and their push for the show with respect to press and the premiere and just the rollout it's been like nothing i've ever been a part of so um it's a testament to the work, the man, you know, the story, all of that. So we we'll definitely want to give props to that. Um, but dude, yeah, this has been a dream for Chris and I doing stuff like this. I mean, we were in Vegas for like four days just for Will and the project and screening the premiere and then doing, you know, interviews with people like Paul Pierce, <laughs> like, it was so cool and trippy. So it's been an amazing ride, and it's it's a nice silver lining because this has been sprinting a marathon is the experience that we share of what it was like to make this thing um, so antagonizing in that way. But, yeah, the reception has been great. And to Chris's point, people who know this stuff – like yourself and Rachel Nichols and you know me and all these folks um and who have studied it or talk about it for a living, have responded in a way of being enlightened and learning and then there's people like my family who don't know anything and they're just showing up with a blank slate, and they're having the same reaction, whether it's basketball or off the court stuff, so just super proud and I think on going the other way, the only thing that's been a little bothersome is the misconception, here it is again, for now us, much like Will being misunderstood, like the voice AI is a robot reading words. And in reality, it's way more complicated and sophisticated than that. It's, we we hired an actor who is reading Will's words whose voice is then being converted to sound like Wilt based on his performance. And creating that voice is based off of a model that is a composite of six, seven hours of Wilt's actual real voice that we then had several iterations and rewrites and new drafts before we landed on the final thing. So um yeah, it's just a little bit of an injustice to us, our process, the people who created it in the film to just say, you know, it's like a robot without, I don't know, truly understanding how the process works, because that's not what it was. So we, welcome, we want welcome to, 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 to the, the interview, Rob.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome <laughs> to the party. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> the, the, uh, the 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 in terms of reception, it's been overwhelmingly positive and great. Like the uh, the athletic piece that came out, you know, and saying it was you know the best sports doc of the year and all that you know was like wow that's wonderful um we've done a number of these now and just e- earlier today I told Rob it had happened to me twice already and he got to experience it today where we're talking to some sp- uh sports radio guys and they go, I, I, you know, I don't know, it's, I feel weird saying this, but I cried watching this, you know, and I'm like, you know, like, it, they almost want our permission to say that's okay, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> but we're delighted because it's like, yeah, we felt pathos for him too. And um, wanted to share with you that which moved us and the fact that it moved you as well. And you're like someone who's not likely to admit that is a testament to that like there's going to be a lot more people who if they watch it or if a lot more people who watch it they're going to feel those kinds of emotions
0: and you met you met the proverbial you yes yes i'm obviously i I thought you were talking to me i'm like chris i can't i can't make it through a cartoon without crying come on uh
2: you know and i cry i mean i'm I'm dead serious like i cried a lot cutting this you know like i was moved by some I, i was moved by you know, the death of his parents. I was moved by the story of Stephanie and Tom Sherry and like Wilt in the uh, remedial class. Like, you know, like that is what Rob and I are using our emotions. We have to trust our emotions that what we feel other people will feel. And so it's super validating to hear this from people who don't want to admit this, you know, <laughs> like it's it's that's not true. fun. So I'm like, that's fantastic. And, uh, and the AI voice, I do feel like, you know, if we, in retrospect, we would change the um, the the, the Chiron at the beginning just to lean into the fact like an actor is saying these words. It didn't occur to us that people wouldn't realize that because the actor we cast um, is, you know, in mirroring Wilt's speech pattern. Uh, you know, he is pausing a bit and he's also speaking a little quickly at times. You know, he's doing because Wilt had that speech impediment that that's how he dealt with it you know, as he got older. And if you watch the archival in, in you'll see it as well. Wilt is, you know, talking to Roy Firestone and he'll pause and then he'll, you know, so our actor was embodying that, but because we didn't tell you that there was an actor, people are, are cognitive bias wise projecting onto it that like, Oh, this is a robot, you know, doing this. And that's fascinating, but it's also a shame because like this actor gave a performance and, you know, uh, I wish that we had just maybe cleared that up more. Where that's part of what we're talking about now, what, with you, is to you know say that like there's a person who did a performance and he shouldn't be ignored either, um, because we use this piece of technology to allow you to hear Wilt because they were words that Wilt wrote and said, and we don't have archival of it. You know, like there is no audiobook. There is you know if we had an audiobook, we would have used it. You know, but. Um, they didn't exist at that time period. And we had a situation with Wilt where we were lacking his voice in this thing. You know, we can't sit with him like the Arnold piece and interview him. And at the time period, he was interviewed a fair amount, but the raw footage of those interviews does not exist. It's just the finished interviews, which are very short and the, uh, the his person asking questions, voices all over it. And there's music and all these things that become like, licensing issues for us. So like, we actually didn't have a, a lot of will in this story where we wanted to present. So the decision was to get him in, in the piece subjectively. We'll use the words he wrote and we'll cast an actor. And that's what we did. And then at the end, I was like, you know, also this technology exists where we could try it and see if the family is okay with it. And do we like it? And when we tried it, we're like, you know, that does sound like wilt and these are his words. So we're not putting words in his mouth But um, it's a shame that people have, um, you know, confused it and thought that it was all generated by AI because the actor Michael Kunda gave a a, a lovely performance and he deserves credit for it. And, you know, we'd like to let people know that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things that um, understandably doesn't land with everyone. I actually liked it quite a bit uh, and I thought it I thought it worked quite well. What's next? Are we going to get another basketball documentary? Is that? On the horizon. Um, is it I don't know if we do Jerry West? Do we jump forward? Can we get a can we get a Julius Irving documentary? Is that is that in the cards? I mean, the man did save Pittsburgh. So
2: (laughs) the the fish did save Pittsburgh. First off, let's let's get our our Anna.
0: (laughs) It was not a man. Then there isn't
2: a player you can name who doesn't probably already have a documentary in the works.
1: Yeah, nothing concrete yet. But when we, we were in Vegas, not that we we're a part of this, but there was this chatter when we were with Paul Pierce and him saying he wanted to do a documentary um, and he's trying to put something together. Um, and it's all a part of the Showtime family. So who knows? Maybe there's a world where something comes of that. But yeah, beyond that, to, to Chris's point, everyone's trying to make them. Um, so I'm sure once they see this, uh, we'll be getting a phone call. Yeah, we're out
2: promoting Hopefully. this right now. We're not. We're not hustling our next job yet. But uh, well, yeah. What a what a what a as Rob said. What fun to get to like talk to Jerry West, mm-hmm. you know, or Rick Barry, or or you know, even like the the Bob Ryan's and the people like that, where it's like I I just love this guy, you know, forever, and he does not disappoint,
0: you know. <laughs> Yeah, I just I wanted to I wanted to thank you guys uh, for the edit where we're celebrating the uh, the 50 point season. And then there's just that one little snippet of me being like, but if you adjust for pace, it's actually not very good. <laughs> and then just move it and then just moved right on my, uh my wife got a really good laugh. <laughs> oh,
2: can I can I you asked us about basketball things that we didn't know. And, and there's things that we didn't um, underline by having anybody like, you know, Comment on it or whatever. But um, two things. Wilt led the league in assists. No, like, w- not by any way that we define that. <laughs> that was Oscar. Oscar led the league in assists because we usually mean average. You know, like somehow this, because he had more total assists because Oscar got injured. Now it, the narrative is Wilt led the league in assists. Like, I'm very happy to be able to show you the Chiron where Oscar has a higher average. And the other thing is one of my favorite moments in all of this basketball part is game seven of 69. The narrative is when they're losing, Wilt goes down, Mel Counts comes in and Jerry West, because of the spacing now just goes on a rampage. And we get to show you that the comeback, which is Jerry West going on a rampage, happens with Wilt on the floor and half the lead is sliced away before Wilt twists his knee and goes down and Mel Counts makes one shot you know but like the fact that that story has been conflated to make it seem as though the key thing that happened was wilt getting injured which allowed them to flourish is just not true you know uh, and you can see him in the in the shots you know you you see wilt in, in 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 the highlights of west just you know and i love the way that whole thing came together
0: yeah no that was uh that was that was fantastic and um for those who uh, were wondering there are things that are said I mean we talked for hours in our in our interview so there's always more texture and context to game 7 with West or um, the joke I made earlier about the we talked quite a bit about the 50 point season and adjusting for pace and context of stats and things like that anyway um, I don't want to keep you guys longer thanks thanks a ton for sharing all this stuff with us and um, and of course thanks for making the film Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. Your time here for being a part of the film. Um, I I
1: know you said you feel like you were used too much, but um, we feel you are invaluable and it's not the same without you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you.
0: appreciate hundred
2: percent. Like you uh, added so much to all those sequences and the narrative stuff. Like, uh, you know, it, it, it was such synchronicity when I read your book and I'm like, this is, this is the person that we need to talk to.
0: Appreciate that. Um, If you want to support this show directly, patreon.com slash thinking basketball, we have a ton of additional content. And we have our historical stats database with probably more information about Wilt Chamberlain than you'll know what to do with. Um, There's all sorts of fun data that even the other day, I have to add it for subscribers this summer, I have um, a process that estimates rebound percentage this is something we don't know how many available rebounds there were before 1974 it's actually a way to do that i was looking that up for the the video i made so patreon.com slash thinking basketball that's it for this one hope you enjoyed something a little different Uh, and as always of course i hope you are having a great day